Living Crosspoint family. We have a seed welcome. We're so thrilled to see you here. Truly, I get to sit in the back or stand in the back and see everybody kind of come in and, and fill up the room. And uh, I can sincerely say I'm so glad to see all of you guys here. When I see you individually as you come in and then as we see each other um, and, and sing together, it's a true blessing. And so for those who are watching online, we're grateful for your attendance as well. We look forward to seeing you here soon. And uh, in the meantime, we pray that you will be blessed by uh, us having the opportunity to share this service with you. A couple of announcements that I want to share with you, and that would be, I really hope that you're getting the newsletters that we get every Saturday evening. Gives you an opportunity to see what's going on, what's happening, the upcoming events, and uh, sometimes interviews or, uh, or announcements, like what I want to share with you. I'm going to try to keep it really short, but today is the beginning of our growth groups, trimester three here in 2021, right? So trimesters three are officially on their way. The first one starts at 10.30 today, and that is our brother Luis Robles going through the book of John. Um, I mentioned that one specifically because it's the first one, but also if you haven't signed up, as you were walking in, there was a poster that had all of the options, the days that they meet, the times that they meet, and what kind of format they have, whether it's online or whether it's in person. So most of the groups are, are getting pretty filled. We have uh, the ability to add groups should we need to, but um, I just want to encourage you to really take a look. We're going to try to have all the growth group leaders up in the front during the break. So right after the, the English service, we're going to have uh, the group leaders just be out there available for you to answer any questions. So uh, if you have questions about scheduling, if you have questions about anything, We'd love the opportunity to, to answer your questions. And why growth groups? Well, we have a simple discipleship process here at Crosspoint. We're saying we are here for a very specific purpose, and that is we need to grow in our uh, life as disciples of Jesus Christ, and then we also, as a mission, is to make more disciples. And what does a disciple look like? Well, at Crosspoint, it looks like what you're doing right now. Step number one is experience God through worship. Step number two is you would commit to spiritual growth through, spir to, through growth groups. That's step number two. That's where we're starting today. And then step number three is that you would serve the world with God's love through service teams. And many of you are already doing that in church and outside of church. That's really our three-step discipleship process. And so we invite you to be part of that. If you know that God has you here at Crosspoint, then this is what we offer. Uh, we want to be good disciples of Christ, and we want to make disciples and when we're here, that's what we're about. Experiencing God through worship, growing through growth groups, and serving through service teams. All right? If you have any questions about that ever, reach out to me or any of the elders will be more than glad to be able to share with you. We have a special event coming up this coming week, and so I'm going to ask Kayla to please come up, and she will tell you all about it. For all the ladies, by the way, so... For all the ladies. Hi everyone, how are we doing today? Good. Good. I am here to make a special announcement about a women's event coming up this Saturday called Shut the Shame. And this event was, was first created when um, I particularly was going through a season of my life where I felt incredibly alone. And I noticed that the women that were coming to me and asking for advice, they too were walking through a season of and I didn't understand why we as 
five very brave women who have chosen to share pieces of their story. And some of them have actually never shared these pieces before. And so this is the first time that they're sharing this, um, really with the hope of providing freedom for other women at our church. So I, I hope you can take the time. It's going to be this Saturday at six o'clock. It's going to be a wonderful event. We already have 40 women signed up, so I feel really excited about that. If you have yet to sign up, please do so. The registration link is online or in the email that you received from the church. But really hope to see all of you there. Thank you so much. Great. Kayla, thank you. We're excited about this event. You know, since COVID hit, all of our events kind of took a back seat for the most part. And so now that we're kind of getting back to a little more normalcy in that sense, we're excited to be able to provide that for, for all the women. And uh, come and bring somebody with you. That would be awesome. Going back to the growth groups, one of the things that we're doing and we're adding this trimester is we're reading uh, the Bible together. And so we're asking everybody who's part of the growth group to be about reading one chapter a day. You might be thinking like, that's too little. Well, great. That's great to hear. But we want to do that together. And so as we read John, which is a book that we're going to start with, we're just saying let's read one chapter a day, starting with John chapter 1 today, and have that in common as a congregation so that when you get together with your growth group, you may have some questions about John. You should have some questions about the Bible. Well, I hope nobody here thinks they know it all already. Only I could, no, I'm kidding. Nobody should feel that way. And so what an awesome blessing to be able to read the word, have God speak to you, and then have an opportunity to ask questions or share what God has taught you during the week. And so we're going to read one chapter a, a day. And by the time we're done in, in, in about 12 weeks, we would have read about 14 letters, the Gospel of John and many of, of Paul's letters, 14 of them. Many of them obviously are very short. But that's the challenge. That's the encouragement. We want to do this together. This morning, what I would like to do as we prepare to take communion is ask you to, if you have your Bible, to open up the word to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Galatians 2, verse 20. One of my favorite verses. I have many favorite verses. And Galatians 2, 20 is Paul writing to a region in Galatia, so many churches. And he, he writes this amazing, amazing Scripture here. Galatians 2.20 says the following. And I want to do this in preparation for us to take communion. We take communion every week. We celebrate the Lord's Supper. Why? Well, this is why. Listen to what he says here. He says, I have been crucified together with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh... I live by faith in the Son of God, and get this, who loved me and gave himself for me. And I'm wondering if there's anybody here this morning that knows that God loves the world, because you learned that very early on if you went to church, and you learned John 3:16. You know, for God so loves the world, but do you know that God loved you so much that he would send his only begotten son, that he would be crucified and experience a shameful and painful death on your behalf? taking your place. And so Paul, many years later, says, I am crucified together with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Speaking of the new creation in us, like Paul later says in, in uh, 2 Corinthians five seventeen, that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And so he says, in the life that I now live in the flesh, 
I live by faith in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who loved me and gave himself for me. I would highly, highly encourage you to really consider that. If you've never understood or pondered the fact that, that Jesus loved you, despite of who you are, right? Even as sinners, Christ died for us, but that he died for you. I know that for me, that was transformative at 13 years old when I, I remember just understanding that, and I, and, and I give God all the credit. Really understanding, coming to a point where I understood that Jesus died on that cross for me, for me. And it was only him that could pay the price that I owed, my price of sin, the wages of sin, the price of sin is death. And so he died for me. He took my place at the cross, and now I get to live a new life as a new creation for him, for his glory. It is that that we remember what he did for us. If you peel back the first layer and take that bread, which it's unleavened bread, which symbolizes the sinless body of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's take that together. And as you peel back the second layer, reveal the juice. It represents symbolic of the blood, the precious blood of Jesus Christ our Lord that was shed on our behalf, the payment for our very own sin. Let's take that together. And let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, how to express our gratitude towards what you did in sending your only Son, and Jesus, our Lord, how to express our, our gratitude towards you who, who were willing to come and take our place at the cross. And Holy Spirit, thank you for revealing these truths, that the message of the cross is not foolishness to us, but it is your power and our method of salvation. We thank you. I thank you for everybody who's here, for those joining us online. We ask, Father, that you would lead us, guide us, teach us this morning. We pray in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. So today what i like to do is continue these messages on giving, on giving. And I have to say, because I don't know, you might be your first time here thinking like, oh, this must be one of those churches that all they talk about is giving. Like, no. You know, this coming November, we're actually going to celebrate seven years together since Crosspoint began. Seven years, which is amazing. By the way, we're playing a big celebration on that, so get ready, all right? Seven years since uh, the merger, and um, I'm just grateful. I'm grateful for, for the fact that we get to celebrate what God has done for us. And in those seven years, I've really never taught about, I've never taught on giving. I've probably mentioned it and maybe in passing, but uh, I want to take last week what we did, this week and at least next week for sure, talk about giving. Last week, if you remember, we talked about the fact that we have a giving God. Today, we're going to talk about giving churches, and next week, Lord willing, we're going to talk about giving Christians. And I wanted to lay a foundation, a biblical foundation of when it comes to us giving, because sometimes we just want the easy answer, right? Should I tithe? Should I give? How much should I? 
And, and, and you, sometimes we hope to just get a really simple answer. But what I want to challenge you to do, not just in giving, but in everything that you believe, is for you to believe it because you are convinced based on your studying of the word. So important. It might sound really, I don't know what it sounds like to you, but as I'm saying it, I think it's really, really important. Whatever it is that you believe about God and the scriptures, about your faith, you have to ask yourself, why do you believe it? And if you're sincere enough, you're going to find out that a lot of things that we sometimes believe, we believe it because somebody else told us that was the case. Not because we studied and we poured into and we asked for the Lord's guidance and we came to a conclusion based on the studying of the word. That's my challenge to you. Whether it's giving, what do you give, how do you give, why do you give the way you do? And if your answer is not because as I've studied scripture, I've come to the conclusion that this is the way God wants me to give. If that's not your answer, and you're thinking like, well, I do this because that's what my mom told me. Well, your mom may be right. She may be wrong. Sorry, moms. All right? She may be. And that's not how you want to live. You, you don't want to say, well, I do this because our pastor said or, or taught, even taught us. Got to be like the Bereans. Got to go home, study the scripture, make sure that what I say is right. So that's my challenge to you. And so as we go forward talking about giving, keep that in mind. How shall we then give? Well, we should give as Christians the way God prescribes us to give. And what is that? Well, that's really up to you to study and find out. And my job is to facilitate that and help you and guide you in that. But ultimately, it's your responsibility. And so this morning, then, the title of the morning message, this morning, the morning's message is Giving Churches. Giving churches. And I know I don't have an hour and 54 minutes to preach, right? That would be great. Look at that timer. I love it. I'll, I'll, I'll keep the timer here. Ron, that, that timer, I would, I would love it, truly, but all right. Giving churches. And I mentioned last week that 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9 are really uh, the best example of New Testament giving for the church. And so I asked you, to, to read it. Uh, and I'm going to read it again, the portion that we read last week. Last week what we did is we focused on, if we're going to talk about giving, let, let's learn about our God and, and learn the fact that God is a giving God. And use that as a foundation for our giving. Why? Because if you call yourself a Christian, a follower of Christ, that means you're a child of God. And what makes you a child of God? That you have God's nature. And if you have God's nature and God's a giving God, what are you going to be? A stingy Christian. No, that would be the opposite. That would be the opposite. If God is a giving God, then by default, by nature, you should be a giving person, a generous person. And so we want to know what kind of a God we have. We have a generous, a giving God. And that right there tells us how we should be as Christians. We should be giving individuals. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about your time. I'm talking about your talent. I'm talking about your resources. Because ultimately, I am crucified together with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And so the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who died for me and rose again, who loved me. And you might be thinking, like, well, like that's a verse that you could apply to giving. How should we give? We should give the way Christ gave. 
because Christ in me is the one that ultimately motivates me to give. I love it. I mean, it's kind of simple, but it's not easy. But it's not easy. So let me share with you a key verse. You're probably familiar with this. The early church, Acts chapter 2, verses 44 and 45. Just listen to how the church behaved at its onset when it, when it just began. Talking 2,000 years ago, it says, Now all who believed were together, the church, they were together, and had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and their goods, and they divided them among all as anyone had need. What happened in the early church? The people that had sold and gave for the people that didn't. And they shared. They had everything in common. They looked after each other. And that is a pattern that you see throughout New Testament teaching when it comes to giving. And that's what we're going to see in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. This morning we're going to read verses 1 through 15 because if you remember, last week what we did is we just focused on 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and we focused on verse 9 talking about our Lord, how he, being rich, became poor so that us, through his poverty, might become rich. Love that. So we, we spoke about Christ, about God, the way he gave. And so today we're going to talk about these churches. I also mentioned last week, but I, I'll mention it again, that what Paul, what Paul is doing, what we're going to read here, is Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he's about to give them instructions about giving about a collection that they had already talked about doing. They wanted to collect money and send it to the church in Jerusalem because they had need. They had heard that there was a big need in Jerusalem for the church, for other believers. And so they said, you know what? We want to collect money and send it to them, to our brothers. We don't even know them, but we want to collect money and send it to them. And they had talked about that maybe a year prior, and they just never got around to doing it. And so Paul is addressing that. He's saying, hey, remember what you guys talked about doing, collecting that, that offering and sending it? He goes, well, let's get it done. Let's not leave it as, you know, wishful thinking. And as he's writing to the church in Corinth, he's using the churches in Macedonia as examples. And so that's where we're getting this idea of we're going to use what Paul uses as an exam exemplary churches in their giving, and we want to learn from that. And say, if Paul is saying that these churches are exemplary, then let us use those churches as our examples when it comes to giving. The main point this morning is this. We can glorify God through our giving as it blesses those in need. God can be glorified as we give, and what we give meets other people's needs, other believers' needs, and people in the world that don't know Christ. And ultimately, what's most important is God's glory. So we can glorify God through our giving as it blesses those in need. So let me read 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 15, and kind of try to pay attention specifically to the portions where Paul is using these churches in Macedonia as examples on how we should give. It says, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints, and not only as we had hoped, 
but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So we urge Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. And in this I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you also must complete the doing of it. That as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also must be a completion of, out of what you have. For if there is a first willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what one does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but an equality that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack and their abundance may also supply your lack, that there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over and he who gathered little had no lack. Very interesting. Now that was a long reading. But you guys are good. You guys are very attentive. So here's what I want to do. I want to talk about giving churches, the way that church, giving churches give. So I have six points. That's right, six points. So uh, make sure you take good notes. Six points, and we're going to go super fast. But these six points have to do with completing this sentence. Giving churches give. How do, meaning how do they give, right? So for example, point number one is giving churches give as an act of God as an act of God. Listen to, and this is, I think they're all important. That's why I, I couldn't come bring it down to three points. But listen to what it says in verse one. Listen to what Paul says. It's more, moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. So Paul is saying, hey, church in Corinth, I want you to know God's grace that was bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Meaning, I'm about to tell you how they give but I want you to understand that their giving was an act of God's grace. God put it in the churches of Macedonia, in their heart, to give. And beloved, I love that. Because that's what we're talking about. As children of God, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in us. We have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. A Christian is a person who possesses and is possessed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in us. And that Holy Spirit in us, God himself, will prompt you to give and to do many other things for his glory. But one of the things that he does is he will prompt you to give. And I, and I wonder how many of us have felt that. You know, the Lord said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Have you experienced that? Or is that something that is uh, the, the norm in your life? I would dare say, if we're Christians, we've all had this prompting where you see somebody in need and you say, like, man, I should help them. You know, I got a raise at, at, at work and I got an extra $100 this week. And, and then, oh, what a coincidence. My neighbor says he needs $100 to come, whatever. And, and hopefully there's a little nudging there that says, hey, you know, 
You got an extra $100 and he needs $100? Can it be a coincidence? Is it a God thing? And you might feel prompted to say like, well, I'm going to take that $100 and give it to him. And then you have to make that decision. Do I give it? Or do I shut my heart to God's prompting and what he's asking me to do? And I want to be selfish. Just instead of giving it, I'm just going to keep it. Part of what I'm saying is if in your heart you find it to be a giver, you should be grateful for that. That is an evidence of the giving God living in you. And, and don't shut your heart to that. Because then you have all these voices that say like, no, but remember, you were going to use those extra $100 for whatever, those new kicks, those new shoes, or, those, you know, or maybe you were going to buy your kids this thing that they don't really need, or maybe they do need it. I don't know. And, and wait, but if you invest that money, you know, in 30 years, that 100 bucks could be like a couple thousand dollars. Is that really the best thing you want to do with the $100 and just give it? And maybe I'm just confessing, and those are the thoughts that go through my mind. Not exactly those, all right? But I'm sure we all go through that, right? We see a need, and we're like, I think I, can, think I could help with that. Well, we've talked about this. And, Man, he needs $1,000. All I have is $100. Like, what's the point of giving? It's not even going to meet the entire need. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. Um, I, I love the fact that, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, we decided to take a special offering for, for, for Sofia Robles, who's... Uh, committing to go to school of worship for a year, you know, for nine months. And, and then we said, well, it's going to cost her quite a bit of money, several thousand dollars. And, you know, we're family. Why don't we help? So we, we offered an opportunity for people to take up a collection. I know we wrote something on the newsletter to thank everybody. But we, we announced it, and then we made a special collection. And, and when we announced that, maybe some of you thought, like, yeah, that's a good thing. Or, but yeah, I don't know. You know. Other people have more money. Maybe they should help. And, well, why doesn't she get a third job? Or, I don't know what goes through your mind. But, but hopefully, when you hear of a need and, and God puts it in your heart, respond to it. Take a step of faith and say, I, I, and we're going to read that, so I'm going to stop talking here but, uh, and go back to, to the scripture here. But I just want to say, to wrap that point up, we offer everybody an opportunity, so we pick up an offering and, and we get a good amount of money from everybody. And then from what we have in our, in our general fund, we, we complete it, which, which she contributes herself to her own education. And through those three things, we're able to pay for her whole year of schooling. I think that's a great thing. And yes, and God is praised. God is glorified. God is glorified. That's, and that's the whole point. It is God who is glorified. Because it is God who who put it in Sophie's heart to go to school of worship. I mean, I don't see everybody wanting to go to school of worship and putting their life on hold. So I believe God put it in her heart. And then for her to feel support and for you to see the need and respond to it, that's the way we're supposed to function. And, and I'm, I'm glad to just kind of point that out because we see it happening. So it is an act of God. Listen to Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. It says, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Why did I want to share that? Because here Paul in chapter 12, he's talking to the church in Rome, 
And he's saying, hey, we're all, as believers, we're all individually members of one another, and we're all members of one body. And God gives us different gifts. And among those gifts, he says that there is a gift of giving. You know anybody with the gift of giving? Yeah, you do. There's several in this church, if you don't know them. These are people that have a gift of giving, who don't shut their heart, but they actually look for opportunities to give. And I'm grateful to know people like that. It is God, it is an act of God when as a child of God, I am prompted to give and I want to give. So giving churches give as an act of God. Point number two, giving churches give according to and beyond their ability. I love it. According to their ability and beyond their ability. Listen to what Paul says. He says, um, for I bear, in verse 3, chapter 8, 2 Corinthians, for I bear witness according to their abilities, talking about the churches in Macedonia when they collected their offering to take to Jerusalem, they gave according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability. What does that mean? And what does that mean for you? What does that mean for us as a church that we should be expected to give according to our ability and, yes, even beyond our ability. Have you ever given beyond your ability? Now, this doesn't mean that you're going to come and use your credit card to give. Don't do that. I don't think that would be a, a wise thing to do, to start charging. The Avilas would highly be against that in their financial advice. So you don't say like, well, I only have, and I don't know how you guys, you know, I only have 20 bucks. 20 bucks? Well, maybe you have all the money in the bank. Like, bring some more with you, you know? According to our ability, I'll say it. I find it very difficult to give according to my ability and certainly find it difficult to give beyond my ability. That's why I'm always happy to to mention the fact that where we're sitting, this gymnasium back in the 80s was built by people who were willing to give based on their ability and yes, beyond their ability. And people were willing to, to make sacrifices to be able to build this and hope that we would use it to, as an outreach to our community. And I believe we're doing that. I love that. According to and beyond their ability. In Luke 21, verses 1 through 4, you know this story. I'll read this. It says, As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting in their gifts in the temple treasury. And he also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. And he said, Truly I tell you, he said, This poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. And 2,000 years later, we're still talking about her, how she gave out of her poverty and everything else she had. She, I mean, who gets to the point that gives everything that they have? Well, obviously a senile woman who didn't know. She, no. That's really how we should be giving. Mike, do I give 10%? You're asking the wrong person and you're asking the wrong question. Read the scriptures, and over and over, we are to be generous 
in our giving. And how, I mean, how much does God deserve from you? Just answer that question. And if the answer is not everything, then you don't understand who God is, and you don't understand what he's done for you, and you don't understand who you are in Christ. He is my Lord. Everything that I have and everything that I am belongs to him. I get to minister it. But the idea that, hey, I'm just going to give 20% to the church, and then whatever I do with the other 80% is none of your business. We, I, think, I think when it comes to giving, we have to check ourselves constantly. According, so these churches gave according to their ability and yet even beyond their ability. And, and over and over, Old and New Testament, we see God highlighting people that gave it all. We have Zacchaeus. As soon as he came to know the Lord, he stands up with no prompting. And he says, Lord, should I give a certain percentage to the poor? He didn't do that, right? If you've ever read Luke chapter 19, Zacchaeus, he, he meets the Lord. The Lord invites himself to his house. And as he's fellowshipping with the Lord, he stands up and says, half of everything that I have, I give to the poor. And if I cheated anyone, I'll repay it four times over. What happened there? How weird. It's called a transformation, beloved. It's called a regeneration by the Holy Spirit. Zacchaeus was no longer the same person. Half my wealth I give it. What happened? He went from being perhaps in love with his money to now being in love with the Lord, and money became such a non-issue. I'll give it to the poor. Love it. Over and over, you have examples of that type of giving. So giving churches give us an act of God. Giving churches give according to and beyond their ability. And giving churches, point number three, they give willingly. Willingly. Nobody had to tell them. They heard of the need in Jerusalem. There's other believers where the church started. They're in need. We want to give. We want to give. And then it says that they implored Paul. They're like, no, you need to allow us to give to our brothers in Jerusalem. We want you to take them some money. I love it. Beloved, I so appreciate the fact that I don't have to. I've never had the. If you could be in our elder meetings. So we've been together for seven years. And for the first six and a half years, we met every week, once a week for several hours. Elders' wives are like, "Mm mm-hmm. You know how many times they told me I should speak of giving? Never. And I don't suspect they'll ever say, like, Mike, let me talk to you. You know, you haven't talked about giving in a while. You got to, like, poke them. Use a little manipulation, which there's a lot of in many churches. You know, tell them. I don't have to do that. And I, I appreciate the fact that I don't have to do that. And David, in a couple of weeks, is going to give you guys a, a financial report and talk to you about how we're using our money. And, and those financial reports are always available to any member of our church. If ever you have a question about, like, hey, where's my money go? Or what are we doing with it? Part of it is what we're doing with the ministry collaboration. 
Our books are completely open to any member of our church anytime. All right? I don't collect the money and then take it home to count it. <laughs> oh, this week we only got 20 bucks. You know, some churches do that. If you ever see a church like that, please don't stick around. It's got to be accountability, and, and money can be very dangerous. So I'm grateful that we don't have to be coercing you or, or giving you a, a guilt trip about, you know, if you don't give this week, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. And I thank you. I thank you for your giving because what you give and what we give together is what makes it possible for us to function as a church. And, and bottom line, you know, as I look at you guys, many of you guys are fairly new to our congregation. And I'm grateful to the Lord that he will give us the opportunity to exist as a congregation for him to bring you to our congregation and for us to be able to minister to you and, and, and disciple you and grow together. That's really what it comes down to. I want my giving to a local church to translate into making disciples of Jesus Christ. Bottom line. And I believe we're doing that at Crosspoint. First Chronicles chapter 29 talks about David in response to, you know, in his heart, he wanted to build the Lord a temple, the first temple. And then God tells him, like, no, you've shed too much blood. But I will let you get everything ready so that your son could build a temple. And Solomon eventually ends up building it. But David gets a chance to collect everything. And so he puts the word out there. And people are like, a temple? We don't need a temple. No, they weren't. They weren't like that. They start giving and giving and giving more. And David has to be like, whoa, 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 take it easy, people. We don't need that much. And they end up building this amazing multi-billion dollar temple, if it was built nowadays. And people were just willing to give unto the Lord. And this is what David says. He says, but who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? What? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. That is the right attitude, beloved. David is saying to the Lord, who are we that we would have an opportunity and the willingness to give generously to you? He considered his and their giving as a blessing to themselves. He felt unworthy of having an opportunity to give to the Lord. That's like the complete opposite of, of giving grudgingly. Oh, man, this week I worked overtime, so geez, I have to like run the check on my ride to the church. Is even ooh. Nobody does that. I shouldn't even say stuff like that. <laughs> But to give willingly and to consider it a privilege to give and honor that he would bestow us this grace for us to give. That's biblical giving, beloved. Isn't that awesome? You think biblically about giving, you don't have to worry about like percentages. And do I have, you know, I listen to New Life Live and people call in or pastors' perspectives and people call in and sometimes they ask questions that are just, when I get my tax refund, do I have to tithe on that money? 
Do I tithe on the gross or on the net? Why are you asking those questions? Read your Bible. Ask the Lord what he wants you to give. And then respond when, when, when he puts something in your heart. Point number four. Giving churches give first of themselves to God. So important. So important. Paul says that. He says, uh, you know, these churches in Macedonia, yeah, they gave. But before they gave their money, they gave themselves over to God and then to us. There are, more, there are things more valuable than your money. And that is yourself. That is your time. The talent that God has given you for his kingdom. Don't get caught up thinking that your money is all that. Because it's not. God does not operate in our economy. He owns every single thing in this universe. You don't have to give. You get to give. And, and when you give, you should pray that whatever you do give, that he would use it, that he would be honored, and that he would use it in a way that would bring honor and glory to him. Romans 12, 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true and proper worship. That's what God wants. He wants all of you. Not a percentage of your money. Don't insult him. Give of yourself to God. And when you do that, then you realize that everything belongs to him. And what you give is not based on what somebody tells you, but based on what your relationship with God is and how he's blessed you and how he's allowed you and put it in you to give. Point number five Giving churches give according to what they do have. According to what they do have. What does that mean? All right. Well, they don't give. You know, they don't borrow money to give to the church. All right. Oh, this, this week I gave $100, but I borrowed 50 bucks from my mom. Hey, mom, you have $50? I want to. Can you imagine that? Give of what you do have. You know, there are things that I hear and they just kind of stick with me. My pastor of old used to say, God is not interested in what you don't have. So profound. So profound. I've mentioned this before. Because if you would be silly like some of us, you would think like, man, you know what? If God gives me this raise at work, then I'll give more. Yeah? And as you got your scratchers, I know nobody does that. You guys don't even know what that, you don't even know what I'm doing here, right? You don't even know what I'm doing. I'm scratching. Lottery ticket. Lord, if I, if you just give me that quarter of a mil, I'll give you $10,000. God is not interested in anything that you don't have. He's only interested in what you do have. And out of what you do have, you are to give. And if you say, I don't have any money, then God's not interested in what you don't have. But if you have time, if you have a certain talent, a certain ability, I don't have any talents. You know how to stack chairs? We could use chair stackers. And if you say, like, oh, I've never stacked chairs, stick around and come back at, at 1130, and I'll show you. It's really easy. Like, just put you back into it. Learn how to do anything and use it for the Lord. He's interested in what you do have, not in what you don't. Giving churches give according to what they do have. 
Look, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 9, I mentioned this last time. He says, command those. Paul is telling Timothy to command those that do have money, who are rich in this present world, not to be arrogant, nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share in this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the upcoming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So Paul is, is telling Timothy, hey, there are people in the church that do have money. They're rich. Well, teach them not to depend on their riches, not to be arrogant or conceited, but to be rich in their giving to others. If they do have something, then give it. If you do have a lot of something, then give it, money or otherwise. Give it. Be generous. Let me wrap this up. Boy, six points, and I still got two minutes. Giving churches give, as a recap, as an act of God, according to and beyond their ability, willingly, first themselves to God, according to what they do have, and with I put here reciprocity in mind, to reciprocate. He says, he says uh, now this is probably a little, a little bit different, but he says, uh, and there's so many other points here, but he says uh, in verse 13, for I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, very interesting. We're not supposed to be looking around saying like, well, hey, so-and-so makes a lot of money. He should give. That's none of your business. All right? If I had money like that person... Then I would give none of your business. And he says, I'm not saying that if you have money, you should give so that other people will be eased. He's saying equality. That means everybody should give sacrificially. If you have a lot, then give a lot. If you have a little, then give a little, but based on what you do have. But that's not my point here. But an equality that now at this time, your abundance may supply their lack and that their abundance also may supply your lack. The idea here is that members of one body... If I have a lot I want to, and you need some, I'm going to help you. It is my responsibility. It's for my benefit. If I'm part of the body, why wouldn't I help another member of my body? And also understanding that there may become a day, and there probably will, where I'm going to need them to supply my need. And one point that I wanted to make here is, I know a lot of you guys are, in churches you will find a lot of people that, are, that find it easier to give and find it very difficult to receive. I know who you are. I'm just kidding. I think most of us are probably like, every once in a while you find like just givers, like you just want everything for yourself and you don't give anything. You're like, what's up with that? But I think most people that are givers find it really hard to accept. You need to stop that. You need to stop that. And maybe you don't need, maybe you can give your time and then somebody can give you if you have a need of money or you can give money but you need somebody else's help to do something else. But we got to be careful. That's why Paul tells Timothy not to be careful with rich people, not to be arrogant. What? You know, money teaches us that we're self-reliant. All of a sudden, I don't need anybody. It's like, I got money. I, whatever I need, I just buy it or hire someone. And we find it difficult. You have to give and you have to receive. That's the way the church is going to function best. So giving churches, give with reciprocity to reciprocate, to give, understanding that it may be a come a day, there probably will come a day where you're going to need 
And you can't just give, give, give and not expect other people to give to you. I'll read uh, Proverbs 11.25 and wrap it up with this. The generous soul will be made rich and he who waters will also be watered himself. Let's be willing to not just give but also to receive. That is what giving churches do. That was a lot of information. All right, that was a lot of information, but I hope that you would go back and you read 2 Corinthians chapter 8, chapter 9, and really ask yourself, hey, what do I give and why do I give it? And what is, the, what is, what is God asking me to do? And next week, Lord willing, we've already talked about our giving God, giving churches. We're going to talk about giving Christians. I hope to see all of you here. Be like, oh, I'm going to be busy that week. I don't know. I'm a... <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful to you for all of your blessings. We can't even number them. We can't even mention them, Father. Everything that we have, everything that we get to enjoy comes from you. And we take so much for granted. I know I do. But we thank you. And we ask that you would help us in, in transforming that gratitude towards a heart of generous giving to you, to our church, and to others, other believers and non-believers, Father, that we would use everything that you've blessed us with to glorify your name as we impact this world with your love. I thank you for everybody who's here, everyone who joined us online. I ask that you would dismiss us with your blessing. We praise you. We thank you in the wonderful and mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. God bless you.